Welcome, everybody, to another Hollywood Godfather. And tonight we have a real interesting guy who's defended a lot of Godfathers in his career. Happens to come from our neighborhood, too. He's one of the fortunate ones that got out and made a, a name for himself without having to go to jail for it. And uh, first I want to introduce my cohort, my partner and co-writer, and we have a new book coming out that we're all excited about, Mr. Pat Piccarelli. Hi, everybody. Hi, Mike. Matt, rather. Hi, Pat. Yeah. Hi, Johnny. Thank you for coming on. Pat, would you do the honors of letting our audience know who our okay, esteemed guest is? We have the distinct honor to, uh, tonight of uh, welcoming Matt Murray to the show, who is a uh, renowned uh, criminal lawyer with uh, some uh, infamous uh, clients in his past. And he has... Uh, joined the ranks of the podcasting world. Uh, his first podcast will be uh, debuting shortly. And since you're now a uh, a, a member of the podcast podcasting club, Mike, uh, Matt, rather, we're going to have to uh, teach you the secret handshake and tell you the password. But we'll tell well, you all like that it. stuff off the air so nobody else hears it. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. I'm looking forward to being part of the podcast world, a world that I do not understand. Well, either the way. Jumping in head first, hoping I won't break my head. Well, nope. we're at 172 hours in and we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, uh, uh, Matt, this is year four for us and we still don't know what the hell we're doing. I just am doing something right now that I think I'm. Hang in there. Could you let us know what you're doing? Yeah, you want, you want to tell the uh, what? I, you know, I had to print something out that I needed, a note for later. But oh, okay. anyhow, right. I'm back. And uh, so He's know, still doing radio. legal work. He's still working, this guy. I'm, I'm still working, but, you know, uh, Mike Schmidt, a, a, a very famous Hall of Fame baseball player, on the day of his retirement, uh he said, he said that he's one of the very few people in baseball who had retired uh, voluntarily. He said, because in this game, you don't walk away from the game. The game walks away from you. And the same could be said of criminal defense lawyers. It's not like you say one day, I'm not going to do this anymore. But over a period of time, you start to see that instead of having 40 cases, you got 20. And then you have 10. <laughs> and then you have nothing. And then, <laughs> then people start saying, well, how come you're home every day? You're retired, right? And, and eventually you say, yes. But I'm not ready for that yet. I see you know, this COVID thing has been a disruption uh, in my life and in every way. And uh, I'm glad that I think we're through it, but it really, really put a dent in me financially and changed the entire process of the criminal justice system. Everything is different now. Well, the courts have been closed works. for two years in New York. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Johnny and Pat, uh, there's a point in time uh, where the FBI, believe it or not, was not going out and arresting anyone. 
at all. I don't think they were coming out of their houses. Like most of us, you know, we were all deadly afraid at the beginning of all this. And the, the government shut us down completely. Not only, you know, I, I was in a position where not only I couldn't go to court, the courthouse was closed, you know, you couldn't go to your office. You couldn't go to a restaurant. You couldn't go to a bar to have a drink. I mean, so like there was nowhere to go, and and things. Well, Parkside is always open for you. You know. That. Yeah. Well, we, I, you know, Parkside. I was able to sneak in the back to get some takeout food, and I didn't have to take it out. <laughs> no, that's funny because you know uh, Tony is so close to me, and you're a good friend of his. In fact, the last time I spoke to you. His wife called you on her phone for me to talk to you. That was a right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, and I, I didn't know you knew Lorraine that well. She has your number uh, on speed oh, dial. Boy, I know Lorraine, <laughs> and uh, I saw Tony twice in, in the last ten days. I talked to him today, and he's feeling so great. He's yeah, thank God. And I'm very, very happy for him. Uh, he's back in the restaurant. Yeah, and uh, I think things are. Uh, uh, back to normal over there, which is nice. Oh yeah, so, and they're so going to open the outside. It, it's so funny that we're we're talking about uh, Parkside in Corona, New York, for our friends. Probably one of the best restaurants in the world. And if you don't know that, living in New York City, you haven't been out until you go there. And yeah. we're not just saying that we've been eating there for many, many years. And uh, Tony's been a close friend. In a lot of ways, and me, you know, he's like a, a brother to me because we're the same age, actually. And uh, yeah. with that said, he's been a great friend. And, he, and know, he's when, feeling a lot better. When I was a cop, when I just came on the job, I was in the 110 precinct. The park side was in my sector where I drove uh -huh. in a radio car. I must have gained 40 pounds in, a, in three years. <laughs> Every time I passed that place, they were throwing food in the car. Uh, yeah, they, they treated me very well. Nice yeah. people. No, I used to go religiously every Friday at twelve o'clock, uh, and by myself. And then again during the week with my wife. You know, I find it a little hard traveling lately. You know, I got very lazy again as a result of the pandemic and the shutdown. You know, I I I, I kind of think twice about sitting in my car for any period of time. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, I'm still. I, I'm glad I'm back going to Parkside Restaurant. I'm lucky, you know. I live in Brooklyn. I live in Bay Ridge, Dyker Heights. We got a lot of great restaurants here too, including Positano. Uh, oh yeah, on 101st Street and Fourth Avenue. That's a great place to spend a lot of time in there. And you know what's really sad is that a lot of places closed up, and I, I'm sure you know better than I. All about that. I mean, oh my Manhattan God. has York really changed. Yeah. I grew up in Manhattan. I, I grew up on, in Little Italy. Yeah. My first residence was on top of Angelo's restaurant. You and, know, it's uh, so funny that you said that. The three of us are from the same neighborhood. Pat's from the really. Pat's my father. There. My father owned the Red Rose Bar on uh, Bay and Elizabeth. Down, really, on a block from the Fifth Precinct. Yeah, Patty Rose. And I, I was yeah. raised on that block. Yeah, the fifth precinct. That's yeah. a great place. Yeah, well, when I was born, that that building was a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's 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 quite a neighborhood. You know what recently closed down in uh, in Lower Manhattan? Forlini's restaurant, which was oh, yeah, an institution. I mean, I, I I actually 
uh, was a customer there for 68 years. And mm-hmm. as a lawyer, it was part of my, uh, my routine. I thought you were only 60 years old. <laughs> and, you know, I, I used to love coming, coming out of uh, court. And if it was lunchtime, I'd head for Fellini's and, uh, and uh, always enjoyed going there. And it was truly, truly like part of my routine. And uh, then all of a sudden, Done. But oh, you know why he closed? Out. Closed and. Uh, but do you know why them? he closed? I do. Uh, oh, I don't. Tell me. Because all the courts were closed. Nobody was oh, going for lunch <laughs> or dinner. You know, I know they must have gotten a pretty penny for the property, and uh, I know that the that the, the the owners were third generation. You know, kind of getting sick and tired of it all, especially after this pandemic nonsense that we all had to go through. But uh, yeah, it's sad. To see restaurants like that shut down uh, on West Fort Street, Bolare uh, was one of my favorite places on West Fort near Waverly Place, and uh, that just shut down suddenly. You know. Yeah. So, you know, with the with the uh, Fellinis, I had moved to Western Pennsylvania uh, well 30 years ago. It's where I am now, and my sons were born here. I have two boys, and uh, when they were about seven and nine, we decided to uh, to bring them to New York. To see where daddy grew up so i mean these kids aren't used to italian food i mean italian food around here it's like if, if you want a pizza it's like pouring ketchup on cardboard i mean uh i'm, I'm probably gonna get drummed out of the neighborhood but i mean this, this is the way it is so anyway we wind up in fellini's and my sons for the first time in their lives had italian food and their jaws dropped they were so <laughs> impressed i said well this is the way it's supposed to taste yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's always nice uh, when you walk into a restaurant and you and you see the owners of the restaurant working, you know, yeah. it really makes you feel good. And uh, in the case of Fellini's, uh, you know, there was Derek and Joe, and uh, recently the other cousin Joe passed away. But I remember uh, Frank and Hugo and uh, and Freddie. Uh, they were three brothers, and and they worked for decades in Fellini's, and before them was their dad who was the founder of it all. So it's always nice to see a restaurant where you got people in there who founded it, you know, who grew up in it. Oh, yeah, it's a passion. Yeah. My father took me there in 1958, and now I'm taking my sons there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that, it was definitely an institution. Yeah. Matty, we, we, we've, we've acquired an audience, fortunately, that is so interested in crime on both sides, being a criminal and defending them what what case or client can you talk about freely that has passed you know, on or something <laughs> i've been talking now a while back a couple of friends of mine carmine and peter they said they were they used to revel in the stories i would tell and just fall all over the floor and fascinated for years and years and said matt you know Okay, we've got to try to, to tell the story of your life. And I said, you can't. I said, we can't. We can't tell the story of my life for many reasons. First of all, it's too long. It's decades, decades of violence, decades of courtroom drama, decades of all sorts of stuff that you can't talk about. And, you know, if you're not going to tell the true story, you better not tell it at all. I'll tell it at all. You know, you don't want to sell, you don't want to sell a, a bag of BS. But I'm going to tell you something. In what you just said, our audience, fortunately, has made our book a bestseller. 
And Pat is a master of telling the story without mm-hmm. giving up. We had to wait, and thank God, and this is a true story. We, there was only one guy alive that I was worried about that we talked about, Junior Persico, in my book. And, you know, a major, major guy, a maniac. And he died on March 8th, just before the book came out. <laughs> you know, Johnny, I had several conversations with Junior Persico about you. Oh, I'm and, sure. Uh, Absolutely. You know, Junior was someone that I met before I was a lawyer. I met him when I was when I was 18 years old. And uh, uh, I was trying to help him relating to his case, Uh, the case that that we're going back to 1968. It was an old case. uh, And uh, that's how I met Junior Persco and his son, Alphonse, on the same day. I can't believe he died now. Howie Boy's dead? No, no. No, he's he's alive, kicking, looking well. Oh no, uh, Al Russo his, is. Yeah, you're thinking Bush. about his John, uncle, Alley, yeah. Alley Boy, the original Alley Boy. The original Junior's Alley Boy's dead. Yeah, he died in prison, as did Junior's other brother, um, Teddy Teddy Persico, who was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. Let me tell you, I was so happy. Junior told me you know, his his brother Teddy had been doing twenty years. And Junior said to me, when, when you meet my brother, Teddy, he said, you're going to say to me that he's the nicest guy you've ever met. And uh, after knowing Teddy for a couple of years and, and becoming friends with him, I told him that. And he, he said, my brother said that about me. He said, is he crazy? Yeah. Was he, was, he, was he in the guy. life, too? Oh, yeah. Teddy did uh, quite a bit of time. And the government accused him of being a captain and what they call Colombo family. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting uh, about uh, the way the government portrays all the people that they say are in the mafia. And it's amazing about all the documentaries and all the movies. Uh, everything's all the same. You know, you get the drum roll. Dun, 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 dun. And then you see John Gotti swaggering with this beautiful, you know, $10,000 suit on. And then you see a guy named McBratton on the floor, you know, that they accused Gotti of killing him like 30 yeah. years before. And uh, and then you see Gotti with his number on him. And, you know, it's all the same stuff over and over and over again. And everything the government puts. And if you read federal rico any federal rico indictment relating to organized crime the first 10 to 20 pages are all the same it's the same words it's the same it's the same setup you know and and i thought that having been criminal defense lawyer for 46 years having grown up in the streets as i said i grew up on mulberry street 146 mulberry street and and then it then I moved to Knickerbocker Village. I don't know if you've ever heard of Knickerbocker oh, yeah. Village. Oh, yeah. Sure. yeah my my yeah. Uh, godfather lived in Knickerbocker Village. Yeah, and it's uh, it's right between the Brooklyn Bridge and, and the Manhattan Bridge. And I grew up there from age 6 to age 30. Uh, and later on, I represented so many people from Knickerbocker Village in court that one judge asked me one day, he said, Matt, what is this Knickerbocker Village? Is it some kind of a crime school where people people go there to learn how to be criminals? He said, you keep telling me, oh, this guy is my friend. He comes from Knickerbocker Village. Please give me a break, Judge. Please, 
you know, and so I went through years of that. Uh, Knickerbocker Village is a great, great place to grow up. We called it the Fourth Ward, the Fourth Ward. And, um, you know, when, when you lived in lower Manhattan, as I did, I don't think I, I don't think I left Manhattan until I was 30 years old. I mean, I live in Brooklyn. I live in Diker Heights, Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. I've been here for 30, 36 years. And, um, you know, Brooklyn's Brooklyn's a place where there was uh, plenty of activity in Brooklyn. Oh, my God. It. Yeah. But, you, know, you know, at, at, at some point, you know, I, I talked about, you know, I, I didn't want to do the story of my life. Can't do it. But I wanted to do something. And uh, we talked and talked. And a friend of mine, Neil Healy, who is uh, who is uh, a, a a friend of mine from Xavier High School. We graduated from Xavier High School together back in 1968. And he's a Hollywood guy. And, you know, he's involved in production. He's involved in the filmmaking business. And Matt said, you know what? Why don't you do a podcast? And you could call it a view from Mulberry Street. And and you could kind of tell the story. Is that the name Nathan of the show? Gordon. That's the name of the show. A view from Mulberry Street. I and love it. Hoping, well, listen, I don't know anything about this stuff. We're hoping to launch it in the middle of June, maybe June 15th or so. Uh, we got about 12 in the can, so to speak. It's a video and an audio. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm trying my best to be as well balanced as I could, but I do have a different viewpoint from what I described a few moments ago, you know, that same old thing. And like when we talk about Junior Percival, right? Uh, I mean, to me, he was a father figure. And I was so grateful to have met him when I was 18. You say, who can you talk about and what case can you talk about? I met Junior when I was 18, then met him again when I was 30, 35 years old in the commission case. I represented another person in the case, a guy named Stefano Canone, Stevie Beef. And Junior was one of the major defendants. And we kind of rekindled our relationship during that case. My client died during of natural causes during the course of, of the case. So I never tried the case. I like the ways of natural causes. <laughs> yeah, natural causes, yeah, cancer. And uh, anyhow, well, some people... Some people didn't die of natural. Oh, we know that. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, uh, 30 years later, uh, you know, Junior is still in prison doing a hundred year sentence. And I, along with, with my young friend, uh, brilliant lawyer, Anthony DiPietro, uh, we got involved with Junior and we had a three prong attack trying to get him out of jail after 30 years based on government government paperwork that had been hidden for 30 years and it was revealed through another case and we, we found out that the government withheld important evidence against junior we tried to get his sentence reduced from 100 years to 32 years and um, judge said no good and then we tried to get him out uh, on a thing called 30 year mandatory parole he had been in for 32 years listen to this one you know this is just a great story you, you say you want to pick out one story to, 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 to highlight how the government operates, 30-year uh, mandatory parole was the law when Junior Persico, Carmine Persico, was sentenced in 1987. And anyhow, after 32 years, we, bring a, a, we, we request a parole hearing. And there's no reason 
that, that we were going to lose that. He, he had to get out. It was mandatory. And what does the government said? Oh, at the last minute, we're in the hearing room, in the hearing room, August 2nd, 2017. I'll never forget that day. We're in the hearing room at the prison in, in, uh, in North Carolina. And the, the hearing officer said, well, uh, this hearing is going to be postponed. Well, you know, it's been postponed for two years already. You know, we got to, this man deserves to get out. Well, which one will it be postponed to? And they said, it's going to be postponed to uh, 2052. I said, what? <laughs> <laughs> they said that they were going to postpone Junior's mandatory release, 30 years, to when he would have been in jail for 62 years and be 107 years old, something like that. And how do they do it? They said that, they, that when he was sentenced to 100 years, that the judge in that case, Judge Richard Owen, was smart enough to sentence him to 20 years consecutive five times. So it, it accumulated to 100 years. Wow. But in terms of parole, it he wasn't eligible for parole for that 30-year mandatory thing. And yeah, because you know, it wasn't one sentence. It was five yeah, sentences. Yeah, there's five separate sentences. And so, you know, we shook wow. our heads and said, man, they, you never went. And then Junior got deadly sick, literally. Yeah. And, you know, we tried like hell. We got lawyers from all over the country to help us down in Florida. Everything we could do, uh, doctors, whatever, just so he could not just not to live the last years of his life in jail, to live the last days of his life out of jail, you know? And and then we were so desperate that in the last week we begged and went to all sorts of courts just to get him sent to the hospital. And about three days before he died, they send him to they send him to a hospital in North Carolina down the road from the prison and he dies in shackles. But you know, this is the kind of thing, look, I understand what the government uh what the government's position is. I understand what the public thinks about the, the so-called mafia, but you know what? People should be treated fairly, no matter who you say they are. And these particular people that we're talking about, you know, the so-called mobsters, the gangsters, all I want is for them to be treated the same as any other defendant in a criminal case. And that's not the case because they're investigated differently. Uh, their trials, the, the way evidence is presented is always different. The way they're sentenced is different. The way they're monitored in the court system and screwed at every potential platform that there is. They just get screwed and screwed. And you know, in, in many, many cases, the, the purpose is for people to die in jail when there's no reason for it. I don't care you know, how bad you say some of these guys are. When you talk about talk about murders, most of the murders are internal affairs, got nothing to do with the general public. And, you know, take the commission case, Rudy Giuliani said, this is the biggest case ever in the history of the criminal justice system. Okay. If you look at the commission case, it's a case. It's about bid rigging, okay? There are four construction companies, the major construction companies in New York at that time, and they were getting one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. None of them got indicted. They all got off the hook because they squealed, squealed, woo, woo, woo. Out they went the door, not even in the door. They didn't have to get thrown out the door, revolving door. They didn't even get in the door. All they said to them was, look, we don't want you guys. You made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in bid rigging, just testify 
against these gangsters because we want to put them in. They got a piece of the action. Look, that's what the commission case is about. A case like that, you deserve to get 10 years, okay? Now, let's say you're the... I'm going to interrupt you one minute. We're going to do a commercial break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm now known as the Hollywood Godfather, and this is my story. I'm happy to say Hollywood Godfather, Rob Ography, is now playing on most platforms. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen to Joel Ortiz, famous rapper and Arsenic the Heat record, multi-platinum producer for Sony. Produce this record. I'm proud of it. There's 12 tracks. You got to listen to this. You never know who you're lying in a room with So I broke a broomstick in half and let it groove with The concrete in the bathroom floor It had a new tip stashed it behind the toilet In case I ever had to use it I'm really excited to announce Pala Casino Spa and Resorts in California The phone number for reservations is 760-510-5100 I'll be there one night, October 1st a Saturday night, come and catch the show. It's an evening you can't refuse. And I guarantee you, when you leave, you will be amazed at what you're going to see. Remember, Pala Casino and Spa Resorts, 760-510-5100, October 1st. All right, we're back okay. with Maddie Murray telling us about very interesting cases that we all know the names from reading the newspapers and, like he said, watching all these fictitious TV shows made up about them. You know, Gianni, they're, they're so redundant. But I know it's your show and you're interviewing me, but everybody... Uh, no, it's, not, it's, it's, it's Pat and our show, but we bring people like you on because you add things we don't know about and our audience wants to hear about it. I want to ask you about this, but I, I have to because everybody can ask Gianni about the offer. And, and uh, Mike Pond and Neil Healy said, you, 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 Matt, you've got, to, you've got to watch the offer uh, all 10 episodes. I, I said, oh, I don't want to watch 10 hours of BS. I can't take it. I can't take it. But is it is that worthwhile look, looking at? I have to say this, and it's ironic because how I met Junior, who was through Joe Colombo. Right. And if it wasn't for Joe Colombo, I wouldn't have got the part of Godfather in The Godfather as Carlo. They were having problems, as you know, and he was picketing... The FBI building for no reason. Then the book came out, and that only compounded. It, and he was using that how the book was defaming the Italian race. So I went to Joe, and we all know it. And about these people, if there's a way to make money and make peace and make money, so that's how I approached it. And he just hired a young guy that I know you know, Barry Schlotnick, and Barry was representing the league. So I went to the office on Madison Avenue. They just opened it. I flew in. I was living on the West Coast because I wanted to be in this movie. I felt I could play Michael's son, Carlo. So I go see him. 
I said, Joe, and I knew him. Me and, and Jasper out in Vegas sold more, more buttons. Tower of Pizza. Exactly, man. <laughs> sold more of those red, white, and green lapel buttons on the West Coast. That, that was funding. People didn't realize it. You got that button, you made a donation. So he knew I was working from out there, and he knew me from my past and some people that I knew. I said, there's a way we can make money. And you notice I said, we. Mm -hmm. He said, how are we going to make money with this movie? I said, let me tell you something. Let Barry read the script. What you feel defaming, if they agree to take it out, you're going to ask for the world premiere in every major city. You'll make millions of dollars. So you looked at Barry, he says, Barry, did that gonna happen? He says, says it's like a bad idea. He says, can you arrange it? I said, you gotta give me permission. If you tell me to go up to Gulf and Western Building, which is now Trump Tower, I'll talk to them. So I went right up there and talked to them. I caught them in the hallway. I arranged the meeting. I'm saying it fast because our audience heard some of this. Mm-hmm. Now in the offer, there is no rhyme or reason for Gianni Russo to be in that movie. None. All these guys, Francis held out for thespians, actors. I never acted in my life. I wasn't even in the actor's guild. They just swept it under the rug. As life would have it, one of the best books ever written, I think, was did by this uh, uh, James Peterson. James Patterson, great author. And it was the life story of Barry Schlotnick. Really? And on page 70 and 71 in the book, after the offer is made, it's out now, and is Joe Colombo's speech telling them he's playing Carlo, meaning me. <laughs> they don't have that in the book. And Rabizzi, who is a great actor, He's playing Joe Colombo like a D's and Doe's guy. You know Joe is no, very well-spoken, a multi-millionaire in real estate business, a very brilliant guy. He wasn't a thug. Absolutely. Class guy. I know. And uh, someone who is definitely not a thug, you know, that's not the way he came off no. to me. You know, no, he never did. And, never, and no, now they're knowing the story of how he got to where he was. But they're playing him as a thug. So to answer your question, I can't even watch it because I know it's full of B, like you say. It's another, it's the Al Ruddy, how I made the Godfather story. So everything he did, I'm surprised he didn't say he shot the film. I mean, everything <laughs> in the thing for 10 hours is Al Ruddy. And I love Al, but it makes no sense. Even friends of mine are saying, they don't even say how you got the part. I swear they didn't want to. <laughs> so they, that's how it is. Well, they have somebody playing you. And oh, yeah. Them. Oh, no, they got to put, well, they had to put me in. How are you going to make yeah. that movie without the wedding, without me yeah. beating up the wife and killing Sonny? The movie falls apart. Carla was a thread through the whole movie. It was a small part, but a meaningful part. And that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing 52 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's crazy. But to answer your question, I can't watch it. It'd be like a joke to me. Yeah, it's difficult. I I find that uh, you know 
And not, not only do I, I, I have to say this, I enjoyed watching The Sopranos, but I viewed The Sopranos as a comedy. From of course. My, from my point of view, where I sat as I watched that program every Sunday night, to me, it was something to make me laugh, not something that I considered an accurate portrayal of the streets, although some of it was accurate, accurate and some of it was ridiculous. You know, David but, Chase offered me that script. Really? Oh, I read it. And then he called me up and he said, you read it. I said, I didn't get past the first page. He said, why? I said, well, I know a couple of those kind of guys. <laughs> and they're not going to walk down their own driveway in their robe and get their newspaper in the morning because the next day they'll be shot. <laughs> and they're not running their, they're, they're not running their family out of, out of a strip joint if you want some no. attention. I mean, like you said, it was a comedy to me too. I, yeah. you know, I never watched and, it. And the boss, uh, a boss seeing a shrink. Yeah, oh, yeah that's uh, that's I mean, something that would result in some bloodshed. Kiss of, kiss of death. Yeah. No, I mean it was, but, but, but it was you know, that, John Q. Watching, public loved it. Yeah, watching gangster stuff of today. I mean, look, I I, I love The Godfather. I love Godfather One, Godfather Two. I love Mean Streets. That, that reminded me of the neighborhood. That's right. the neighborhood. That's right. me of Mulberry Street. Yeah. You and never saw um, that yet. That's an old, old movie, Mean Streets, right? That was, that, that was De Niro's first movie. Yeah. Harvey Keitel yeah. and uh, Robert De Niro. I forget who else was in it. I like that. And I did like uh I did like uh Goodfellas, uh basically because it was well done. I'm not saying I don't know if it's a, if it's an accurate portrayal of those people. Uh, I heard it wasn't, but as far as just a movie, well, you and I well knew two done. or three of those guys personally. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was dating his Berg's daughter for a while, so we know mm -hmm. who, who these guys were. But yeah, yeah, his movies. But, I uh, mean, it's fun. Aside from those. What I see today on the screen, the gangster movies, I'm just not interested in it. And I'm also, as a lawyer, I don't watch anything relating to uh, lawyers or policemen or, or, or crime. Like Even good shows like Law and Order, I have no interest. Uh, Hill Street Blues, when that was on, I just have no interest in seeing, you know, what's being portrayed as what goes on in a courtroom. Or what goes on in the police precinct. So what you do know? you watch? There's nothing on television. I, I, I like, <laughs> what I like do you watch? Star game Trek. shows? <laughs> I like Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, there and you I've go. seen every episode at least three times. And it's getting very monotonous because I could keep the sound off and just go through the whole script of every show. <laughs> well, just tell us that you're not a Bachelorette fan, all right? No, I'm a Yankee fan, as you can <laughs> see from behind me. I went to two Yankee games already. Two Yankee games already, Johnny. Well, that's not a lot. They played 50. Well, you know, <laughs> I used to have season tickets and uh, go to at least 25 games a year. But as you get older, it, it's just, it's just oh, tough yeah. fighting the job. traffic. It's a job. It's a job. Anything else, you know. Matt, uh, let me ask you a question. The, uh, the neighborhood the three of us grew up in didn't really turn out a lot of lawyers. Uh, yeah. What made you go to law school? Well, hmm. It's kind of funny. You know, I looked around me <laughs> and I saw like everybody I knew 
needed a lawyer. Childhood was being <laughs> yeah. arrested. Clients. Everybody's getting arrested. And so, like I said, wow, how do you how do you keep your friends and not go to jail? So I decided to be a criminal defense lawyer. And, uh, you know, even in grammar school, I, I used to go to Catholic school. And uh, when my friends used to get in trouble with the nuns, I would stick up for them. And the nuns would, like, crash me with their rules on on the hand across the face you know and they'd say mind your own business why why are you getting involved in this and i always had a passion to try to defend people uh, that i knew and that, that i knew were not uh not guilty of, of whatever they were accused of that started in grammar school and you know literally as i grew up i happened to grow up in a rough rough neighborhood and uh and uh you know that whole stuff was part of life and um, I naturally gravitated to become a, a criminal defense lawyer. I went to Xavier High School and then I went to Fordham University and then I went to NYU Graduate School for a little bit and then shifted over to New York Law School. Uh, and at the beginning, I, uh, I was a legal aid lawyer for about three years, uh, 1976 to 79. And then I went into private practice in 1979 and I've been there ever since. You know, there well, aren't changed a lot, though, but, you know, I enjoyed it. There aren't too many uh, high-end, successful criminal defense lawyers. I mean, I, I was a cop for 20 years. I can count on the fingers of probably two hands. Uh, people who, who were doing criminal defense actually knew what they were doing. Yeah. And I can tell you this. There may be, uh, in my lifetime, in my 46 years, there may have been many, many, many competent lawyers but there are only a handful of lawyers who really hit the big time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm talking about Jimmy LaRosa, Jerry Shargell, uh, 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 Gus Newman. Did uh, you know Marvin Beldock? Uh, who? Beldock. I know who he is. I, I didn't know him. You know, uh, Barry Slotnick was on, on the top of the hill for yeah, a while. Yeah. He did very, very well. Very intelligent man. And, uh, you know, Ben Brofman gets big, big fees. But, you know, the, the the average criminal defense lawyer uh, has a difficult time uh, getting a really good fee from your client. And when you practice in federal court, you better get a good fee because if you don't, you're going to be behind the eight ball. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of work and the government has, has, a, has a, an army of people working against you, including the judges. Everybody's against you and everybody's trying to step all over you. And uh, you got to fight back and fight back hard. And it's very difficult unless you're being paid well. And uh, I, I, I don't want to complain over my, you know, almost five decades of practicing criminal law. But uh, most of the time we're suffering financially, you know, through the wars, the wars with the government. And uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean... Um, well, you're well-respected. I know that because yeah, I know you. so many guys, and your name comes up. They all love you. Thank you. Which thank you. that Murray to me Richmond. is. Is that another guy you know? You know Murray? Yep. Yeah, I, I know the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Murray. Murray's another one of my mentors. Who's a guy who's still around yep. and still a little bit older than me. You know, that's <laughs> a tough part of today for me. Uh, I used to be the young guy. I used to be the kid, and I used to be around. You know, all these old lawyers, they were famous. And, and even the defendants were all famous, famous people. <laughs> and and now, you know, now I'm the old guy. And uh, 
it's a different world. It's it's not as exciting as it used to be. The the, the collegiality uh, among the lawyers has changed drastically, and uh, uh, it's difficult. It's a difficult it's a difficult practice. So you know, uh, Johnny, you 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 appeared on my my radio program, which is still going. One of the loves of my life was to be on WBOX. Uh, Bill O'Shaughnessy. Oh yeah, gave we, me the job. We lost him two weeks a week ago. Hey, I was up there in the New Rochelle quite a quite a bit with Murray Richmond being yeah. a guest on his show. And Bill O'Shaughnessy came up to me and he said, "Would you like to do your own show?" He said, "You have a lot of natural talent." And, and uh, I said, "Well, Bill, what would you like me to do?" He said, "You could do anything you want." I said, "Listen, I, I don't want to do a show about law or about crime." I want to do a show about about national and international events, current events, and politics. He says, "Go, go do it," and uh, that's what I did for eight years, uh, maybe four hundred programs, just talking about uh, national politics, international politics. Very rarely touching on legal issues unless they were at the top of of the news, you know. So I enjoyed doing that for a change of pace and really allowing me to uh, to get away from criminal law a bit. But, you know, it seems to be, uh, there seemed to be a demand among my friends and the people I know for me to do something like I'm about to do. So, you know, I gotta be careful. Uh, I wanna give the people an inside view of everything, but I wanna make sure that, that the people understand I'm not gonna betray any secrets. I'm not going to betray any clients. I'm not going to betray any confidence that I've received in, you know, 50 years, almost 50 years of being a lawyer and being around 70 years. But uh, it's going to be exciting to try to do something a little bit different. And uh, I've got 12 podcasts in the can. (laughs) And I have to say that I do enjoy watching it. So it's, uh, it's a different it's a different kind of thing to do, much different than being in the courtroom, much oh, yeah. different than fighting uh, the, the FBI and fighting the federal prosecutors and fighting the federal judges and fighting with your own clients. So uh, it's a little more lighthearted than being a, a criminal defense attorney well, at co- war. COVID, COVID, about it is easy. COVID should have got you into the Zoom mode anyway. <laughs> Because yeah. everybody was meeting by, you know, Zoom and all the Skype and everything else. It's so, uh, Matt, you've got an audience tonight here that's listening to you, about 50,000 people. Tell them uh, how often <coughs> your show's going to be on, when the shows are going to drop, how long they're going to be, et cetera. So, well, you know, I, I, you know the, the, first, the, the first show should start coming on in the middle of June, I, I, I know we're going to be on YouTube, but we're trying for Spotify, every other platform that we can be on. And we're going to yeah. do a, a, a video release and an audio release simultaneously. And the name of the show is going to be A View from Mulberry Street. How but, often uh, How often are you going to uh, drop? We're going to try for once a week. Uh, okay. Like I say, I've got 12 in the, in the can already. And uh, I've done... My first 12 were just me alone, you know, sitting here as I am right now in this room and talking about different cases. I talked about the commission case. I talked about my personal experiences with John Gotti and 
Tommy Karate, and a lot of other. Oh, things. so you're you're mentioning some names here. Hello. <laughs> well, there's a lot of. I names. thought I thought me. you weren't going to mention but any names. One, one time, one time, someone said to me, "I was at a, a funeral on a wake, and they, and the guy said to me, Matt, is there anybody in the underworld that you don't know?" And uh, I had to scratch my head and, and wonder, you know, is there? But uh, I, through my life, I've met a lot of people. And the stories I could tell are not the story, st any story of some secret that someone told me about some murder. But, you know, the lighter side of some of these people, right. you know, as I, I was about to tell the story about you and Junior Persico, you told me a story about how. Uh, another actor who I won't name okay. uh, kind of set you up and sent you into a back room and uh, said, Junior wants to say hello to you. And he's with his daughter. Right. And you went in the back in the back room and you, you said hi. And you told him, well, my, what a lovely daughter you had. And it turned out that that wasn't his daughter. And, and you know, Junior, Junior yeah. could telegraph a look like death in two seconds. <laughs> when I saw his face twist, I said, James, I do? <laughs> this guy just set me up, man. And, 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 and a couple of gentlemen followed you into the bathroom, correct? Right. And thank God Tommy Bellotti and Boozy DeChico were up at the bar because Tommy caught the whole move. That's why I maybe never came out of the, the basement of Jilly's that night. Because, <laughs> you know, they're all trying to make points for, with Junior. That's how they get made. They want to move up. So my movie yeah, career remember, almost was two weeks. <laughs> I remember telling, I remember telling you, when you told me that story, I said, you know, Johnny, please never tell that story in public. And then you did. It was in like in, in one of your books. Or, oh yeah, or, it's in the book. Yeah. And uh, so I are went you going up, to have any? Are you going to have guests on the show? Oh uh, yes, yes. So my first guest, uh, I did my first twelve. Uh, shows just me first 11 shows just me my first guest was jerry capisi oh wow the other, oh, great guy yeah uh, I, I know gangland so. news yeah great jerry guy, is yeah. jerry is so informative and unlike what people think about jerry capisi he's not just some shill for the government i mean he's a news reporter and he's reporting what's in the courtroom which yeah. on paper and of yeah. course he gets tips from from uh, law enforcement but i have I have never had Jerry refuse to listen to me when I wanted him to write a story about something that's wrong with the government or about the government rats and about, you know, things that I needed to try to publicize. Uh, and he, he would always, always have open ears and always be fair. Say so my first guest was, uh, was, uh, it's Jerry Capisi, and I'm hoping that Johnny, that maybe you could be my second guest, the third, whenever you're available. It'll be my I'm, pleasure, please. What I'm an gonna honor! Go full speed ahead with that. What an uh, honor! Because, Thank you. You know, it, it's nice for me to sit there and to talk, uh, but you know, I think people get tired of that after a while, and so we're going to mix it up and have guests. And you know, I love being a host. I mean, from my radio show, you were a guest on my radio oh, show. Oh yeah, no, it was great. And we had a we had such a wonderful time. And uh, I think it's easier to be a host, let's say on a radio show or a podcast, than it is to be the guest, you know, because you could just take it any way you want to take it and uh and uh, ask the right questions. Well, that's it. Yeah. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have some uh we're gonna have some good guests. Um 
Um, uh, Frank Morano, you know Frank Morano, don't you? Oh, know? yeah, I like Frank. You know, you and know? I, done, I did his show so many times. But I don't Frank know is, what he's doing. He, he needs, he, he needs to get out working. of that time slot. I, he's working from 12 to 5 every night, every weekday night, on his own show on 7 and, and then Sundays, he's doing John Katzenatini show as the producer and, uh, and another show on a, on a Sunday. So, uh, but Frank is an interesting guy and he has a very, you know, as he's a totally square, legitimate guy. He's no tough guy. He's oh, no, he's, no, he's a but, nice guy. But he's totally, he's so interested in this genre of, you know, stuff that uh, I, I've seen him in court and he's very fair-minded, very, for like a guy. Why, who why was he in court? What was he doing court? He would, he would report on that for his radio show. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, he would, he actually would take, uh, take an initiative from time to time to try to help somebody if he felt that they were innocent or that they were being railroaded. You know, sometimes even if you're not innocent, all right, you still don't deserve to be railroaded. Everybody should have a fair shake, even if you're right, Italian. Right. Well, John Casamitini loves him, so he's got a home there. But like you yeah, say, he's going to kill him. He's working seven days a week. I've never seen a man work so hard. So uh, And he works from midnight to five in the morning, not like 12 noon to five in the afternoon. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And he, he has unlimited, unlimited energy. So, you know, I'm going to start off with, you know, people like that. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to. I'm going to cross the bridges over to trying to interview uh, like government FBI agents or, uh, or uh, you know, John Gleason, the judge, just wrote a book that, that, that someone gave me to read. And uh, it's all about the John Gotti prosecutions. So it might be interesting to get someone like that on the show. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I'm, 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 I'm intent on playing it by ear. But I want to see what the reaction to me is is first of all, you know, right. let those first episodes get out there and uh, and we'll see if uh, if the people like Matthew Mary as a character. I think I bring a, a little freshness uh, to, to, to the world of podcasting because well, you're, you're, well, you're, it's your wealth of knowledge from your background as a career. That's what you have. And That's like I said, to your favor. I can't, tell, I can't tell too many secrets, but I could I could talk about a lot of things that are interesting. Well, the, the you other know, side of midnight, you might say, you know? You know what, Johnny and I found out after doing this for four years, that podcasts, at least ours, and we're assuming all of them, uh, tend to take on a life of their own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were supposed to be, uh, started out doing stories about the mob, the movies, and we expanded from there. Yeah. And we got, we, we got a good reaction because of it. Talk about current events occasionally, try to stay away from the, uh, from the political side of it. Yeah, but, uh, you, you, you know we've, we've had a lot of fun with this. But what you should try, you know, what you should try, Matt. Though, make sure, right. make sure you have email. We get more feedback. Really? Yeah. You, At the end of the show, give them a website. I want to hear your opinions. I want. You will not believe you'll guess that you led us where we're going. And they gave us great. They gave us great show. 
So you see what uh, they are interested in, and that's your next show. Right. Yeah, we do about uh, one show a month just answering emails. Just answering mailboxes. Every show we do about 10, 15. Well, not every show, but at the end of the show. Because like, they like to hear that. That'd be great. I mean, you know, if the, if the show takes upon a life of its own, that it makes does. it easy for me. You don't have to yeah, say, oh, will. what am I going to do this way? People are letting you know what's going on. And I certainly. The mailbag um, is the thing. All right. And then when I get off the air, you know, tomorrow and the next day, whenever we'll try to set up something, uh, Johnny, for you to be on yeah, my please. guest. I'm going to talk about the, I want to talk about the Godfather. Please, about, let's do it. Me, right mean, now is the 50th sure. anniversary. And that too. subject never dries up. Oh, no. Hello. Yeah, yeah tell him about it. <laughs> That's all we're doing, man. He's still milking it. 52 years later. <laughs> Pat and I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Hey, Pat, nice, nice to meet you, Pat. And, uh, and we nice wish you luck on your new venture. guys from the neighborhood who, who have managed to stay out of jail. There you go. Uh, well, I, I had a couple of court cases that I beat, fortunately. But anyway. No, but I mean, it's, it's, it's great having you in the mix. And like okay. we said, we could swap ideas and do things together. Absolutely. And, I need and some help. Congratulations. Okay. And, we appreciate it. And thank okay, you for your no. time tonight. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid. You can call me. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you'd like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around.